RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It's not every day that we have a uh, living legend, so to speak, joining us here on the Rap Game Podcast, but that's exactly what's about to go down. He was a four-time letterman for the Raging Cajuns men's basketball team. He helped lead them twice to the NCAA tournament, including helping them win their only NCAA tournament game. He was named all Sun Belt, not once, but twice. And he's gone on to have a very productive and award-winning coaching career, first starting off in high school at Assembly Christian and Northside Christian, and of course, a great run at Lafayette Christian Academy where he won back-to-back state championships. He's now in his third season at the helm, rather, of the LSU Eunice Bengals men's basketball team. They're undefeated on the year, and they're currently awaiting their opponent in the second round of the Region 23 tournament. It's our privilege to welcome to the Rap Game Podcast the one and only, the UL Athletics Hall of Famer, the one and only Byron Starks. Coach, good morning to you, sir. How you doing, bud? Good morning, man. I'm doing fine, and uh, so blessed to always be a part of uh, your work because you do such a great work in the community and also for the sports world as well. So I'm very privileged and honored. Thank you so much. Well, Coach, I appreciate you making the time. Uh, it seemed better time, uh, no better time than right now. The NCAA tournament is uh, in full swing. Where we got the Final Four in front of us, national championship game. Obviously, your ball club is awaiting its second round opponent in the playoffs as well. So we're going to get to all of that. But let's let's go all the way back, way back, way back, so to speak. And tell me a little bit about you know. I know you're a native of Grambling, Louisiana, but when did you first fall in love with basketball? And uh, was there a particular player or person in your life that? kind of helped uh, spearhead that that passion for hoops well my aunt which is uh audrey starks i can remember as early as you know six seven years old going to watch her play basketball up in simsboro louisiana uh, which is kind of where the first five years of my life is where I, where i grew up which is about away from grambling and i can remember watching her playing and um you know i just picked up a ball man and, and just loved it and and, you know, in, in North Louisiana, it's a lot of red dirt and hills. Um, I can just remember playing outside in the dirt, you know, shooting hoops and watching her play. And, and it, it inspired me, and uh, I just had a love of it since. Who was your favorite player growing up? Who did you try to emulate, so to speak, when you were playing out in the yard or playing down the street with friends? Dr. J. You know, during that time, you know, everybody loved Dr. J. Uh, I can remember when my mom, we had a little poster and it was it was a Larry Bird and Dr. J and um, I, and my brother and I, you know, we played the game of basketball religiously, and it was it was just you know one of those days when you you, you watch uh, those players during that time. Dr. J, Magic Johnson, um, were just tremendous players, and I gravitated towards them, and almost tried to emulate the game. You know, we always played in the backyard, and when when Dr. J. Uh, did the glide from the free throw line. You know, we love practicing that stuff as well. So it was great inspiration. He was definitely uh, my favorite player during that time. Now, did you have a pair of those old school Converse pros that he used to have back in the day, Coach? Oh, no doubt about it. I, I, now, do you remember when they came out with the, uh, you know, I, I, I think it was with, with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. They had the green and white ones. They had the uh, purple and gold ones. And, man, we were all 
falling in love with those shoes back in the day. So, yes, I did have a pair of Converse. Uh, <laughs> along with as we as we grew into it to the uh, the Michael Jordans, which have uh, they're still relevant today. You know, so we, we had all those shoes. Coach, when did you know? When did the kind of the light bulb go off that you were a really good basketball player? Like you could take this and, and kind of go a long way with it. Was there one moment in particular? that stands out to you where you're like, you know what, I could do this? Yeah, well, it was my seventh grade year, and, we, of course, you know, it was a junior high game, and I scored 34 points. And my mom missed that game, but that was a fan watching the game. And my mom worked at the little uh, cafe as well in our in our town, and he said, you need to go see your son play. He can play basketball. And for me, it was always just fun. You know, I, I, I was always team-oriented. Uh, my high school that I eventually, you know, uh, went to, Grambling High School, Coach Lyons, who was a Hall of Fame coach here in Louisiana, was the coach then. And, man, we had some players. I mean, it had the Wesley brothers, uh, Eldon Bowman, who played at Louisiana Tech, of course, Terrell Wesley that played at Grambling State. And I watched those guys play. And, you know, as a young boy growing up, they were huge. You know, they were they were six six, six seven. And when I would watch them, they looked like men, you know, during that time frame. And I just got inspired by them. Um, I wore number thirty four in high school from one of those guys who played on the team, Patrick Wesley, uh, because I just liked the way that he played. And um, you know, I, 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 when I was a freshman in high school, of course I didn't start, didn't play a whole lot. And then my high school coach said, hey, if you stick with this game, I think you got a future in it. And my sophomore year, I ended up starting, and uh, I never looked back from that point on. What was your – what's your fondest memory or your fondest moment, so to speak, uh, playing high school ball, Coach? Well, one of the greatest ones is, of course, my senior year, being able to win a state championship and uh, scored 42 points in my last high school game. And we ended up winning a, a state championship against uh, Vermilion Catholic here in this area. And it was one of my fondest memories. And uh, I ended up coaching at uh, Vermilion Catholic probably about maybe about 10 years ago. And, and I would mess with the uh, athletic director, Coach Gidge, and I'd say, hey, we, we gave you all that trophy, <laughs> which it was a state runner-up trophy. <laughs> oh, Coach, I like that. I like that. Where was Where was that state championship game played at, Coach? It was in Baton Rouge. During that time, it was the top 24, and, you know, we, we would always go the day before and, and kind of, you know, uh, tour the city, practice in the in, in one of those gyms, which generally went to Struma High School, and uh, we practiced there, and, uh, and, 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 man, it was just some great times in that Pete Maverick Center. Obviously, you were a prolific scorer, a really great player in high school, win a state championship, kind of wrap up your prep career that way. So walk me through what, a little bit. What was recruiting like back then for you, and why did you ultimately decide to come down here to Acadiana and play for the Raging Cajuns? Well, I started playing AAU ball my junior year in high school. Had never heard of it. Uh, but uh, Jim Champagne, Charlie Audemont, you know, we, we frequented the uh, top 24 during that time every year. So from my freshman year all the way to my senior year, we were always in the Final Four. Well, they recognized my talent and, you know, talked with my high school coach about playing summer ball. I got a chance to come down and went to Sunset, Louisiana. That's where I live uh, at, Coach. That's where I live at now. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. It was the greatest experience because that was my first time ever uh, getting involved with Etouffee, uh, the language that they speak in this area, and uh, Jumby Jones, uh, which he played there at Sunset High School, played over at Southern University. We stayed at his home, uh, a couple of guys and myself from Lake Charles, and, and I just grew a love for this area because I was amazed at the way people treated one another. I'm talking about with a genuine concern, love, and care. didn't matter, you know, black, white, what part of the town you came from, rich, poor. Uh, they treated you like human beings, and, and, and I just grew a love for this area. Uh, we would come down maybe uh, twice in the month and, and stay at their home, and we'd go play AAU games. And my recruitment took off from there. You know, and I tell young people all the time, I just started playing AAU basketball till I was a junior in high school. But we had played so much in our neighborhood that when I got on the court and played, it was almost like just a, uh, it, I'm not going to say effortless, but it's just a seamless transition from playing in my neighborhood to playing on a bigger stage with AAU basketball. And got a great chance to experience I mean, We went to Spain. You know, can you imagine as a uh, 17-year-old high school player, we got out and say two weeks in Spain, played against professional players, um, and those are some of my greatest memories of, of how my career started and how things started to take off. And, and of course, all said and done, uh, the Raging Cages gained interest in me, and um, I, I chose them over a number of other institutions, and mainly because, you know, I, I, I grew a love for the area. And I'm glad I did. Coach, um, I just want to go ahead and be completely transparent. If I would have went to Spain at the age of 17, I'm pretty sure I would have got in some sort of trouble. Probably would still be there. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, just being honest, you're, you're a better man. You were far more mature at 17 than I was. I can guarantee you that. Um, well, yeah. T- tell me a little bit about, did you know from jump, I mean, you guys made not one but two NCAA tournaments in your four years there with the Raging Cajuns. You were a four-year letterman. Did you feel like you guys had something special early on? I did. You know, playing with Kevin Brooks and Aaron Mitchell my freshman year, I thought was one of the greatest experiences because those guys are still my friends today. And, And I watched how college ball or how college players went about their routine, um, how they played, and those two guys taught me a lot as a freshman. A sophomore year, we went one and five to start the season. And I can remember, you know, a, a lot of people saying, Kevin Brooks, Aaron Mitchell's gone. I, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. And we went and played at the University of Memphis, which was Memphis State, playing against Penny Hardaway and crew. And Michael Allen, which was our point guard at that time, he scored 40 points in that game. And we barely lost that game. We had, we had just come from northern Iowa. We played them. We lost. Then we went over to Memphis State, played that game, and lost. But I felt a momentum. And what happened is when we got back off the road, because Michael Allen was such a good scoring point guard, Eric Mouton was a distributing point guard. They made that subtle change in our lineup. And we went off. I think we won like eight games in a row. And, and we knew we had something special from that point. Um, and, and, and I think each person understood their roles. Uh, we had tremendous talent. And I thought, you know, we ended up making it to the NCAA tournament, beat Oklahoma. 
I talked with Marta Fletcher about a week ago, and and we were discussing we should have been an elite eight team because had we played UCLA, I, I I think we could have beat UCLA. When we played New Mexico State, we led pretty much the entire game, and, and Coach Fletcher said, "Ah, it was the worst timeout I ever called." And, and, and I said, like, what do you mean, Coach? He said, man, when I called that timeout, New Mexico State went into a 2-3 matchup zone and got us out of rhythm. But, you know, you go back and look at the stats. I, mean, I think they shot, like, 36 free throws, and we shot seven free throws, and we lost the game by a small margin, maybe six or seven points. And, and, and had we, uh, you know, had a little bit more favor on that end from the free throw line, uh, we definitely would have been in the Sweet 16, and um, I really felt like we could have moved on to the Elite Eight. Uh, you look at West Kentucky that year, um, Memphis State, and even the following year, those teams had some great uh, runs as well. And I think, uh, I forget which year it was, but I do know West Kentucky and Memphis State moved on to like Sweet 16 status, and I felt like we were up there with those type of teams. What's it like? earning a berth into the NCAA tournament and getting to play in the big dance. What is that like, Coach? Oh, man, it's a championship within itself. Uh, you know, you talk about the watch parties. Uh, I can recall us going to uh, Pete's here in Lafayette uh, on that Sunday evening, kind of getting an idea of who we were going to play. And um, it, it was just a, a thrilling moment. You know, although we had won the, the Sun Belt, we, I think we were tied uh, for the Sun Belt Championship, and then we ended up winning the tournament, uh, beating Louisiana Tech in that final game. It, it, it was a great feeling to know that you were going to continue to extend your basketball life. And you look at the tournament even today. I don't know about you, but I missed it last year. But now seeing all these games being played, uh, my wife is a big basketball fan, and, and, and we can't wait till the games come on. You know, when I come home, I live it's on you know weekday and I'll come home from work. My wife already has the TV on the March Madness game, and I'm pretty sure this weekend uh, it'll be the same way. You know, going into the Final Four, but uh, but it's a great feeling. I think every college player that has experienced it, you know, understands the feel because it didn't matter if you were the the 16 seed or if you were number one seed. The tournament was run so well; uh, it made it so memorable for each player. What was y'all's mindset or your mindset in particular when you guys were facing off against Oklahoma? I mean, obviously, it's the only NCAA tournament win in program history, and it was considered an upset. But I, I, talking to you over the years, Coach, I, I get the impression that you guys didn't feel like you were really the underdog there, right? Uh, no doubt about it. We, we were college basketball players. You know, we, we didn't care about small school, mid-major, high-major when we put on those sneakers and that uniform, we wanted to represent. And the year before, of course, we did play Oklahoma in Norman. And and I've, and I've told the story many times. When we got there to do our shoot-around, the gym was locked, lights off. Uh, so Coach Fletcher wasn't too happy. We, we ended up going back to our hotel. When we got to our hotel, actually, we hadn't even checked in yet. When we got to our hotel, uh, they didn't have ESPN. So... Fletcher checked us out of that hotel. We went and stayed in another one. So it was a little circus in that first year, my freshman year playing uh, Oklahoma. But when we got out there, man, we shot lights out. I think both teams' parity was, was very good. The style of play was similar. And 
that score ended up being 103 to 101. We won on a last-second shot. Marcus Stokes hit a shot uh, from the corner, knocked it down, and we got out of that with a W. So that kind of set the stage for us to play that game in the NCAA tournament. And I can tell you, our, our teammates, uh, my teammates were extremely excited about their opponent. We didn't care who it was. We were in the big dance, and we were ready to play. Tell us what type of coach Marty Fletcher was. I, I loved him, man. I, I He was a player's coach. He allowed you to utilize your strength. You know, our system was so simple. It was a, we called you know, the, the Rage Cajun transition break. You know, our offense started when we touched the ball. And he always said that, hey, if you feel that you can make that shot, you take that shot. Now, not every fan would like that, but as a player, and we almost self-governed. You know, every now and then as a young player, you're going to have some ill-advised shots. But the majority of the times, we we took the shots, of course, that helped us win ball games. You, you know, I don't think most people even know, but from, from 90 to 94, we won over 60% of our games. The, the worst season we had was my junior year, where we went 17 and 13. And sometimes, by today's standard, that's still pretty good. But we had a 20-win season every year. Um, I, I feel like we should have been maybe an NIT wink uh, when, when we were uh, in my junior year because we did play a tough schedule. But despite that, you know, we've won a lot of games, had a great career, and Coach Fletcher was very instrumental in that. You know, and we had a good staff as well. You know, I felt like. Uh, even today amongst a lot of the, so say, mid-major programs, uh, we had our same staff all four years, uh, and we had the majority of our players stay those four years. You know, we had some transfers in and out, but it wasn't as <laughs> nearly what you're seeing today. We're like a 1,000 or so guys in the, in the transfer portal. Coach, you had a sensational career, all types of records, four-time letterman, went to the tournament twice, two-time all-sun belt performer in – when people think of one of the greatest players in Raging Cajun basketball history, your name's always thrown in there with about a handful of other guys. And I know talking to you personally, you don't consider yourself on that same level as some of the other guys mentioned. So for you, as a guy who you know, put on the vermilion white jerseys and went out there and played basketball for four years, in your opinion, who's, who's the greatest Raging Cajun basketball player? Man, I played with Kevin Brooks. You know, I I just I got a chance to visit him in Australia about two years ago, and from a skill and scoring standpoint, he could light it up. Now, I never saw Bolamar play. I did see clips, uh, and and of course, you know, he could shoot it from the parking lot. He's still the number one scorer in the history of the school. Uh, but you know, for me to witness a, an individual like Kevin Brooks, man, he was he was a very special player. Andrew Tone is also one of those guys that's that's talked about as well, who, who had an outstanding career in the NBA. You know, hey, Charles Barkley said he was the best passer that he ever played with, and he was, you know, quick as a cat. So the history and tradition of the programs, you know, you can never say, you know, any one player is the best. You know, that's, I guess, for the critics to determine, and also, you know, through their stats and the way that, that they perform as a player. But in my experience, one that I played with, of course, was, uh, you know, Kevin Brooks. But I can't say that, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of other good teammates. I think in our era, we had, you know, maybe five or six 
maybe seven guys that were in the thousand point club uh, in their careers. So we had some pretty good players during that time frame as well. I mean, you got guys like uh, Marvin Winkler, uh, Kevin Figaro. You know, there's a lot of good players that came through. But you know, I just remember Kevin Brooks because I played with him. Who has uh, one of the best jumpers, you or uh, Southside head coach Brad Boyd? Man, I will outshoot Brad Boyd any day. I hope he <laughs> listens to the podcast as well. You're gonna have to send it to him, man. <laughs> oh, I love Coach. I love Coach Boyd. Though. Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, I know, man. No, Brad, Brad was a great shooter. And look, you know, we, we, every player, if you think of the guys that put on that uniform, and if you're a competitor, you know, hey, I. I I embraced all of the accomplishments that all those, uh, you know, other teams and players did. But man, when you're competing, poof, uh, we, we, we just have to go at it. You know, if we were all back in our prime, 18, 19 years old, it, it didn't matter who you were, who you are, what your status was. I mean, we played in the summer against pro guys and they come home uh, or some other high major division one programs, they would come home. We go into EK Long, and and we get in there, and and we just, I, as you say, we would ball out. You know, you got Michael Richardson, who would come around um, at time. Of course, he was over there at uh, uh, University of Texas during that time frame. Um, uh, Benoit, Big Benoit, played at Lafayette High School, played with Utah Jazz. We go over there in the Domain Center on a carpet court. I don't know if you remember that or not. I don't know anything about it, but that court was a carpet court over there. And we go play pickup games there. We would go to EK Long at night. Sometimes we play starting at ten o'clock at night, and we play till about one in the morning. Um, and those things, I don't know if they happen a whole lot. But when you talk about jump shooting, that's where we learned a lot. of just in the dark work, getting in and, and playing. And playing on a carpet court, which is absolutely ridiculous, Coach. <laughs> it is crazy. You talk, you talk about the grip and, and an ACL tear waiting to happen. <laughs> a sudden stop. A sudden stop on carpet. <laughs> Coach, after you wrapped up your Raging Cajuns career, you went over and played overseas. Let me ask you, how early in that process did you figure out, hey, you know what, I kind of want to – I think I want to be a coach. I want to go into coaching in, in some sort of capacity – uh, when did that revelation happen, and it did, it, did it happen to you while you were playing overseas? It, it happened while I was playing overseas. It was early on in that process. You know, before I went overseas, I'm going to tell you how amazing God is because I was at a crossroads in my life. Should I complete my degree? Should I pursue a professional career? And a uh, pastor of mine, uh, Pastor Robert King, he gave me some advice, and I listened to him. And then I went and I talked with some other people as well. And he says, Byron, you live in a degree-conscious society. You need to get your degree. And I knew in my heart I wanted to get that done. But also at a young age, I still wanted to play. So I, I tested the waters. And I can remember before I, I made the commitment to go overseas, I went to the Netherlands. That was a card that came in in the mailbox, and uh, it says, are you about to make a decision that will change your life forever? And, man, I looked at that card, and I started thinking. I said, man, should I continue to pursue a professional career? Should I finish up my degree? The logical side and on the inside of me was saying, get your degree, and if you pursue basketball, that's great. But I went on anyway, and I can remember in practice one day we were 
going through a drill. Uh, there was another American from Nebraska that was on our team. And uh, we did just a little backdoor drill. But before that, we were in warm-ups, and I was stretching, and I was saying, God, do you really want me to be here? And, uh, and I said, look, I don't care if I have to break a leg. You give me one sign, I'm out, you know. And, and we were going through a drill, and the guy threw me a backdoor alley-oop. And when I caught the alley-oop, I come down, and my finger was split to the tendon. Thank God I didn't break a leg. But that was a moment where I said, okay, let me really start thinking. So I went into the, uh, the training room. They stitched my finger up, um, and, and, and I said to the coach, I said, look, I don't believe I'm supposed to be here. And he says, well, what do you mean you're not supposed to be here? Do you need more money, uh, better place to live, better car? I said, no, nah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe I'm supposed to be here. I believe I'm supposed to be doing something else. And, um, and, and look, I didn't sign the contract. Thankfully, I was able to get released from that contract, from that team, and the next day my wife and I got on a flight back to the United States. And, and, and I've always felt like because I didn't have my father growing up when I was a young boy, I wanted to be involved in my children's lives. And I think that was the start of that process. It was the most difficult decision I'd ever made because I've been playing basketball, as I told you, from a uh, dirt court all the way up to Spain, to the UL, to Hawaii, and now overseas in the Netherlands. And I was on the crossroads of giving all that up. And, and as tough as it was, it was the greatest decision that I made because I looked back at it, and I always said that I wanted to coach, but I wanted to do it after I retired from playing a professional career. And, and I firmly believe this, Raymond, that in my heart, God said, I don't need your money. All I need is for you to be obedient. And and I think as a result of that, my, my kids are whole and healthy. I've got one that has graduated from college. The, uh, the other two are about to graduate probably within uh, uh, probably by the spring, uh, uh, end of the spring and one in the summer. So I will have had three college graduates. I was involved in their lives from day one. And now I'm still having the opportunity to impact young men's lives um, on the basketball court. And I didn't have to make a million dollars. I still haven't made millions of dollars. But I think all of that was the process of me doing what I'm doing today. Tell me a little bit about those early years coaching at Assembly Christian. What did you learn about yourself as a man and as a head coach? Well, I, I, I saw how truly talented and blessed I was because I coached some individuals that, that, that could barely chew bubble gum and walk in those stages. And I'm looking, you know, like, they should know this. But it taught me as a coach from the ground up, you know, one, not to take all those uh, talents that I had for granted, but also the fundamentals of the game. So Simply Christian was my first head coaching opportunity. I made a whopping $13,000 a year doing that job. And, 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 look, Marty Fletcher had offered me an opportunity to coach with him uh, that year when I graduated, and I elected not to for those same reasons. I wanted to be involved with my with my children. So um, I was able to go in a, as a head coach, build a program. I was actually uh, uh, the first coach to take them into the LHSAA. We in, ended up our first year in. We, we uh, made it to the second round, uh, and we launched out. I forget, I don't know if it was Crescent City or Covenant Christian, one of those schools. 
Um, we ended up losing out in that second round. Then I went over to Northside Christian School after that, and they were in the private school uh, for many years and won many championships. And when I got there, it was the bottom of the barrel, and we ended up, uh, I took that school into the LHSA as well, uh, grew that program. We made it as far as the quarterfinals. And then from there, I got the opportunity to go coach at Lafayette Christian Academy. And, of course, you know, with the, 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 the talent pool, the uh, area, we were able to grow that program. That was their second year in the LHSAA. And um, they had actually had that. I think the first year was more like a trial so that was the first full year in the LHSA when I, uh, when I, when I, when I took over that program, and the rest is history from there. You know, Pastor Jay Miller had a vision, and he felt like I could help him, and I felt like he could help me in this process as well, and uh, it turned out to be a beautiful uh, reward for the both of us. Coach, let's talk a little bit about that because you see a theme here because you helped grow Assembly Christian and make its transition into a different organization. You did the same thing at Northside Christian. You did the same thing at LCA, helped make it into a state championship power. You helped guide them to back-to-back state championships. And you're doing the same thing here at LSU Eunice, growing its men's basketball program and taking it to new heights. What is it about taking over and helping kind of either reboot or grow a team, a program? Why is that something that just seems so natural to you? Well, I'm a program builder, but I'm also a builder of men. And, you know, it all started with my Building Better Boys theme. So I I like to get into a situation where I want to make it better than when I found it. And I would say, thankfully, all all my career starting opportunities at at each level uh, started with me taking a program kind of like from the ground up. And, and the interest is, it's almost like, I guess, like a hunter hunting. You know, it's the, it's the thrill of being able to make something better. And, and in the process, you have an opportunity to affect lives for the rest of their lives. You know, those, those individuals that I started with, even at Assembly Christian, they, they're still uh, fans of mine to this day, and I'm fans of theirs because we, we remember the days of, of, of uh, having practices outside, <laughs> didn't have a gym. You know, and, and the same here at LSUE, you know, when, when I got the, the job, of course, we had no uniforms, practice or game. We had um, no balls. And I, I tell people this is a funny story. My wife might spank me for this in here. But anyway, I said uh, <laughs> when, when my first my first uh, clinic that we had, I get a, I get ready to go to the clinic. And I said, man, we have no balls. And, and, and so I called up one of my friends uh, in Crowley and said, hey, look, man, can I use some of your basketballs? And, uh, you know, we've got a clinic going on. Then I reached out to somebody. They, they purchased me some balls. So I said, when I started this job, we have no we had no balls. Now we have balls. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> in, in two cents. <laughs> but I said, you know, it, it was just starting a program from the ground up. Uh, it's just the, you know, just, just the excitement of it being on the surface level. And look at us today. We, we you know, third year in, um, we we won two conference championships uh, in our conference in the last two years. We're eighteen and one, and the one game that we lost was by one point uh, on our home court, and uh, we hadn't looked back since. Uh, I think overall we're like twenty three and six in those three years in, in terms of conference play, 
and now we've moved on to an elite eight uh, to be able to play against uh, you know opponent next week. So I just think it's all just a part of the chase, part of the hunt uh, to be able to grow programs and grow men in the process. Let's talk about your decision because you left LCA. I mean, you had just built that up. It, it became a, t- a state championship team. Was it difficult for you to leave there after having grown it to that point? And what was it about the opportunity with LSUE that was just so appealing to you? Yeah, it, it was very difficult to leave LCA because there were uh, some, some kids that were in the program that you know I knew since the eighth grade, and to be able to transition away from them, you know, I, I, as I explained to them that it, it's it's not uh, an end of a relationship, it's just the beginning of a new one. Um, and some of those guys I was able to recruit and, and, um, and to be able to move on from that situation, it, it, you know, it was one of those bittersweet moments, but yet and still they understood the mission. And as I was in the grocery store, not long after I had made that decision, um, the, 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 one of the ladies or the parents from the school said, coach, congratulations on your new assignment. And that's how I look at it. You know, this is just another assignment along the journey that I feel like God has me on, and um, I'm going to take full advantage of it. And I think right now, you know, we are, we are you know, I, as I say, I, I think it was a, a good decision in my career, in my life. And uh, when God calls and uh, an opportunity to prepare or move forward in another arena, then um, I would like to be obedient and uh, be able to fulfill that next mission. At your level there with LSUE, your your two-year program, your two-year school, and a lot of times guys, especially when you're building a program, you're depending on guys that maybe have fallen through the cracks, right? Maybe they're a couple inches shorter than what the ideal size is to play the three spot or to be a point guard or whatever it might be. My question to you, Coach, is did your time building up programs at small schools like Assembly Christian, North North Side Christian, and then LCA – did that help you kind of know how to attack building the program there at LSUE and what type of players that you knew you could go after to help kind of lay that foundation? Yeah, it, it did. It did. Because, you know, in a private school, you really don't have a lot of big men. So everybody has to learn how to handle the ball. Everybody has to learn how to make decisions. Uh, and I've kind of built my style of coaching, style of play from that. So in the recruiting process, I look for for individuals that uh, has those type of skill sets who can dribble, pass, shoot, and and think in the process. Some are better than others, but I think once we get them into the system, uh, they gravitate to the to the way that we like to play. I mean, our practices are game like habits every day, and 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 it, and it seems like once they get in the game, majority of it becomes natural. So um, I just I just really feel like you know with with the type of players that we look for. Um, in the recruiting process, uh, you know, like I'm, you know, I'll say in most cases, six feet to six eight that has a level of mobility, has good hands, come from winning programs, uh, has a pretty good basketball IQ and understanding of the game, uh, and just a gym rat. And, and uh, one of the other good things is, is, you know, try to get as many who can from a winning program uh, that understands winning because the process has to be extremely fast in junior college. Um, in high school, the relationships can last, as I say, from eighth grade. And in most cases, uh, the campuses were connected. So you would see kids from uh, you know, first grade all the way up through high school, and you get a chance to have a connection with them. 
But in junior college, that relationship is fast, so you have to build an extremely uh, solid foundation so that a two-year relationship maybe become a 20-plus-year relationship. And uh, those things have to take place. Some, is it, it's you know, they catch on pretty quickly, and some, when they hit the ground, uh, they already have the skill set, and it's just like, like a Jonathan Cece who understood right off the bat, had the skill set, had one-year experience of prep school, and he came right in and he fit into our program. Uh, when I recruited my son, he was uh, a year at NSU, came onto the program, excelled, uh, Kay Williams, who was already in the community college. So you have to kind of find some older, experienced individuals that have a good understanding of winning and what you want to do. You know, I know you don't have to deal with this right now, and that's going to be this next question is more probably what you're going to have to do next year. But with COVID nineteen pandemic, it's granted that extra year of eligibility across the board. Uh, that's going to be a lot of juggling for you and your staff to figure out. Okay, which kids want to stay another year, or which kids are wanting to go ahead and move on? How do we build a roster? How does that affect recruiting? Uh, how much of a challenge has that been here this last few months, Coach? It's a huge challenge because we have a number of individuals that are kind of waiting to see what we're going to do. But and yet and still, we have the ones that are here. Uh, we want to help them move into a better situation as well. And you know, it, it's when while they are being recruited, the other schools are in the same situation as well. They saying, "Well, coach, you know, some of them we kind of have to wait and see once the season ends. You know, who we're going to move on, who we're going to keep. You have to figure out which ones are going to jump in the transfer portal." Um, in our cases, those, those individuals that are waiting, you hope nobody else swooped them up, you know. So it's kind of a, a balancing act, juggling act, and you just have to trust your gut and the system and the, and the uh, individuals that you've spoken with that they will be committed. But, you know, it's, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of business, and, and it changes. So I've kind of adapted to it as well. You know, you're going to win some, and you're going to miss out on a lot as well. What's it been like for you coaching there on the Cajun Prairie? I mean, LSUE is is out there in the country. It's not um, it's not right down the road, right? You, it takes a little while to get there, but you guys have created such a great environment there, going to games and, and kind of building up the culture. Um, what's it like coaching at a place that's kind of off the beaten path, so to speak? Well, it's just the beginning, and and of what the success I think the the university or the the school, the college could have, uh, and when it comes to the, the, the marketing, uh, letting people know that we are here. You know, we talked about it yesterday in our meeting. You know, we are the only junior college in the southern region and, of course, in, the, in Louisiana that's connected to a Power Five, which is a plus for us. Although we're in units, we still have good um, lo- uh, have a good location. You know, we're, we're two to three hours away from Division One programs, you got Northwestern State, you have the Raging Cages, you have McNeese, you got LSU. So we have uh, La Tech, Grambling, all those different institutions uh, that we can think of in our state. We're in good proximity to them. So in terms of recruiting ground, I think it's a it's, it's a great opportunity for college coaches to have a, a junior college right in their backyard that is on the rise. Also, uh, you know, we we have Walmart. <laughs> fast food restaurant, which is no more than two or three miles away from our campus. So there are a number of junior colleges. They're like in the middle of nowhere. We at least have some sort of civilization <laughs> to where, where our kids can still grow. So as I've told them, in the middle of a rice field, we 
have all the amenities to grow and be as successful as we can be. Um, and, and with that said, there's still a lot of things that we want to do. I don't think there's a lot of people in our community that know exactly the product that we have right in their backyard. Um, we could do better marketing, get some more publicity, you know, with our school and recruit not just student athletes, but even more students to come on our campus. Um, as a matter of fact, we're doing our purple and white game community event to, to embrace and get others on the campus so they can see what we have to offer. Um, and that's just one aspect from the basketball side. You know, you can look at what baseball has done, what softball has done, uh, and even in the process what our women's basketball program has done in the last five or six years, you know, winning conference championships, going on to a uh, regional tournament. And as a matter of fact, they won just uh, last night. Uh, baseball number one in the country. You know, people need to know about all of those things. And then the programs that we offer as an as an academic institution as well. You know, I, I think we have some pretty good programs, you know, from pre-engineering to our uh, radiology program. It's all very good for individuals in the community to get, whether they get certified or they get their AA and they can move on to a better life and a career for themselves. Coach, you guys are definitely trending in the right direction. You know, the baseball team, softball programs, they've been well-established. They've won national championships. Do you feel like you and your program, you guys are really close of kind of reaching that level, ascending to that level, and, and starting winning national championships as well? I believe so. You know, the mission was to become number one in our conference, number one on one of the top JUCOs in Louisiana, be extremely competitive in our region with the resources that we have, and to one day become a national, nationally recognized program year in and year out in Division One uh, sporting. So we, we, we've been able to win our conference here this last few years, which pushed us to number one in our conference. Um, we've become one of the top junior colleges out of the five junior colleges that have the, the, the sport of basketball in our state. Uh, we're, we're up there. Bolger Parish is in Region 14. We played Bolger Parish last year uh, in, a, in an exhibition game. Uh, we, we beat them, which made us kind of feel like, okay, well, we are on the move. Uh, now, in the last two years, we've been, um, when it comes to the regional seeding for the tournament, last year we were number three seed, this year we're the number four seed, which, again, speaks to the 19 teams in the, in the region. So we're, we're always in that top five. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I believe with the vision, uh, you know, even with more resources, you know, we can always use more scholarship dollars um, to, to be able to attract more athletes. But I, I really believe that we're on the verge and moving in that direction to compete against the, the Chipolas, the Northwest Floridas, the uh, Florida Southwesterns, um, South Plains out of Texas, that Region 5 and Region 14 is some pretty good and solid basketball teams. And, and I don't think most people realize either, you know, we, we played Lee College, which has been a historical college in terms of, of sending out players to high major programs. And my first year in, we beat them on our court uh, by three points. Uh, and, and, man, they had some, some really good players on that team, high major type players. And, um, and, and, and those are things that, you know, you kind of look at it and you say, okay, we can do it. We just have to continue the process. 
All right, Coach. We'll wrap it up with this. You know, I could I could ask you what does it feel like to be inducted into the Raging Cajun Athletics Hall of Fame. I could talk to you again like I've done so many times about your foundation, but the real question that I need to ask you to wrap up this interview is what's it like being in the shadow of the biggest man on campus over there at LSUE, the one and only, the real Chad Jones? <laughs> hey, he's a, he's a historical figure at LSUE. When you think about LSUE, you can go into the schools around our area and they all say, we know Chad Jones. So he, he's, he's definitely uh, probably the longest tenured individual. He's been there for 25 years or so, so he's a grandpa at LSUE. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, well, I'm pretty sure he's going to listen to the podcast. Oh, he is. He is. That. Chad does an outstanding job in the recruitment arena, um, you know, advising, and he's been a huge proponent of um, of our basketball program and kind of helping, you know, you and I connect and to get, get us moving in the right direction because he understands, you know, the, the capabilities of what sports can do for a university where it can be the front porch of any institution, and he really he's really rooting for us to, to succeed. It makes a, a lot of difference when you got someone on your side like that that really cares uh, about the university and about the program, doesn't it, Coach? No doubt about it. I call him Bad Chad Jones, man. So he's 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 the grandfather over there, but he's uh he's kind of shown me and taught me the ropes. Bad Chad Jones, I love it. I love it, Coach. <laughs> Appreciate your time as always. Congratulations on the tremendous season. Best of luck moving forward. Hopefully uh, it will end with uh, a banner being brought uh, back to Eunice and being hung up in uh, the uh, HBRE Center. Brother, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck, and I can't wait to talk to you again. Yes, sir. Thank you, man, and have a great day, and thanks for all you do for the community and our programs. That's Raging Cajun basketball legend, LCA state championship winning, and now currently LSUE conference championship winning basketball coach the one and only byron starks appreciate coach taking out the time today to talk about his career from up there in grambling louisiana all the way until now coaching on the cajun prairie over at lsue that's going to do it for this episode of the rap game podcast look if you ever miss an episode or you want to catch up simply go to 1037thegame.com you can click on the rap game podcast on the menu and you can listen to all the old episodes of the podcast they're all archived right there for you to listen and enjoy so make sure to check that out that's going to do it for us on this episode i hope everyone listening has a tremendous easter holiday weekend but make sure you're safe out there make sure you're kind to one another and we'll talk to you soon